Hi, and welcome back to Corona Radio, brought to you by Hat Radio. My name is Avram Rosenzweig, and I'm delighted to be with you in these very challenging times, but also potentially very beautiful times. I want to thank first off the Alberga family, as well as the Greif family, for sponsoring uh, Corona Radio and for their appreciation of the need to, I guess, have a calming voice out there to provide information that people may not otherwise have. And once again, I am very, uh, very grateful to them for recognizing that. I'm also really excited uh, to have as my guest today, Kim Smiley, uh, who is considered in the world to be the queen of empathy. How are you, Kim? I'm very well. How are you, Avram? Thanks for having me. You know something? I'm actually doing pretty well. I really am. And I, I think in part, and this is a bit bizarre, but um, I'm actually agoraphobic. Uh, I'm not much of a traveler, and I haven't been for many years. And this has actually given some meaning to my agoraphobia. <laughs> mm-hmm. There are people who are actually staying home and having a most difficult time of that, and I want to talk to you about that. But there are other people who are actually very comfortable staying home, and their lives are going ahead uh, okay. And I'm sort of in that category. But mostly, I think that's What's really important is I've established a schedule for myself, and uh, and I'm staying with that. How about yourself? You're a mother. You're a, you have a family at home. What are you doing to keep positive in these challenging times? The first thing I'm doing is I'm not watching the news, right? And, and I'm just getting highlights from other people that I'm talking to on the phone or my husband. I think the news is there are so many different narratives going on in the news. You watch CNN, you get one narrative. You watch Fox, you get another narrative. Often the narratives are completely polarized. I think it creates a lot of confusion. And I think it creates a lot of unrest and instability in people's minds, which is which makes sense. So I'm staying away from the news. That's my first thing. And it's almost like a extended Shabbat, right? Where we where right. we take our day of rest and we step back from technology. But at the same time, I am staying connected to my social media platforms because through the empathy effect, what we're now calling the empathy empire and through my brand as a fashion designer, I feel like we've built up this incredible community that has a tremendous amount of solidarity, generosity, courage, and I feel like through those different platforms and through sharing online with other artists and other thinkers, people like you, people like Ellen Schwartz, people like Leanne Matlow, Susan Minnick, there's so many people who are out there sharing beauty and sharing the silver lining or what I call the lace lining. Right. And I think there's so much beauty that can be seen now as opposed to before when there was so much noise, there's quiet now, there's stillness. And I think this time is an opportunity to step into the stillness. It's an invitation to kind of block out the noise that we usually have and be with ourselves and our souls. And I guess progress from the selfie to the unselfie. Okay, well, very nicely put. How should one step into the the quiet, the silence? It's 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 a it's a challenge for many. I think it's a challenge for many, agreed. But I think now it's kind of easier because I think depending on where people lie spiritually, I know not everyone believes in God. I happen to believe in God, but I think that God has basically unplugged the world, right? Pressed pause, maybe you could say rebooted the world, and so we've become unplugged. It's an opportunity for us to disconnect 
which I think is super important, um, turn off the computers, turn off everything and have that quiet time with our families. I think that's really crucial to getting through this is to just being one-on-one -on -one with people. That said, I recognize that a lot of people are in isolation. So social media is often the only thread or the only lifeline that people have to the outside world. So right. social media is now becoming a salvation, whereas before it was just basically a cesspool where people would congregate to troll and do other things. I mean, there was still a lot of beauty, but now I think it's interesting. Everything is topsy-turvy. Everything is different. So whereas before the internet was a place of divisiveness, I think it's turned into a place of beauty now and of sharing incredible acts of empathy and courage and kindness. And so everything has been changed. The world is completely different now. And so we could look at things with new eyes. It's an opportunity for us to stop, to be still, because we're always moving, right? Um, as someone with agoraphobia, like, and as someone, people who are reclusive, they're actually feeling very comfortable right now. A lot of people in our society, though, never stop moving. Right. And because they never stop moving, they never have to go inward. Because when you're constantly moving, you don't have to stop and quiet your mind and harness your mind, right? So now is an opportunity for us to harness our minds, which is actually what yoga and, and that practice is all about, is stopping to harness the mind and harness our thoughts. This is an opportunity to do that. So I, I'm recommending very, very strongly to individuals that what they do is they literally create a schedule for themselves and an agenda, and they follow it on a daily basis. Um, I myself am doing that, and I think it's extraordinarily important on top of that to really, really dig deeply and remember what your dreams were and take this opportunity, similar to what you were just saying, to take this opportunity to dive very, very deeply into those dreams and if you're able to, to actualize them. I love that. Yeah. So what I'm telling people is, listen, man, I'm waiting for your book because you've had a freaking fascinating life. You've always talked about writing it. So start writing it. It's your time. There are other people who said to me, Alvaro, I'm, I'm dying to start a podcast. I go, fantastic. Let's do it. Right? Absolutely. I think that's such a beautiful way to put it. I think that each of us is born with many unique gifts and talents. And this is an opportunity. God has given a timeout or the universe has given a timeout. And now we have the opportunity to manifest that greatness. Like you said, like Frida Kahlo, she taught herself to paint when she was immobilized in her bed right. and couldn't move right after an accident. Right. Right. I think Newton created the theory of relativity when he was also incapacitated and couldn't go outside. So these are times for greatness. There are times where there could be a proliferation of creativity. And I think we are already seeing that. One of the things that I'm doing through my social media is I'm sharing poetry, I'm sharing art, and I'm sharing stories through a segment that we're doing on the Empathy Effect called Health Heroes, hashtag Health Heroes, of people who are bringing light into the world in a time that many are feeling is quite dark. I'm actually astounded at how much light there is reverberating now in the world. I love your positivity, my dear. I just love it. I wrote a poem the other night. Do you want to hear it? Please. So Recite I was it for me. I love poetry. I was lying down late at night. It was about 1.30 in the morning. I'm going to bed very late. What about yourself? I don't go to bed very late. I go to bed very early because I wake up very early. So what time do you, schedules. What time do you wake up? 
I don't want to tell you because I don't want you to judge me. Why would I judge you? <laughs> because a lot of people are really judgmental around sleep since Arianna Huffington wrote Thrive. Yeah. And I don't want to wear I don't want to wear it as a badge of honor how little I sleep, but I, I do have problems with insomnia and I generally don't talk about them publicly just because I don't want to glorify sleeping very few hours. Okay. Four PM? Four AM? Yeah, around there. <laughs> around four AM, yeah. I I actually love that. My father used to do that. He would go to sleep around 12, wake up around 4, and he would learn Torah for two, three hours because there was that peace. There was that silence, right? It's the magic hour. Right, exactly. So here's the poem I wrote. Let's hear your poem, please. Don't judge me. Never. It's called Corona Nights. Those oh, I love Corona. That already. It goes like this. Those Corona Nights strolling so boldly down and down the smoky and empty streets. These Corona Nights, listless and bare, when nature has abandoned its love, released its once embracing care. O morning, O sunrise, the gift of the light and of the day. O Corona sunshine, you look so foreboding, you look so gray. God bless us well, God bless us all. Wash that Corona dust from our sight. It's blinding, it's sneaky, it has that air, that cocky air of always seeming to be so assured, so goddamn right. God embrace us once again tightly as you had. Oh, shut down those nights, those assaulting Corona nights. And please, please, God, don't be so unforgiving. Don't be so frighteningly mad. It's beautiful. Swoon. Is it okay? I'm I've never... swooning. I swoon at poetry. Oh, I love you. it. I've never written a poem before. You haven't. That's, no. that's, wow. They say that sometimes when people do things for the first time, they like they knock it out of the park. I think that's like a real home run. Do you have a poem of hope that you can tell us, one that you've written? Well, I actually, I wanted to share a couple of poems with you. Not that I've written. I, I do wrote poet, write poetry and I have written poetry since I was young, but I feel like this is an opportunity to shine light on other people and to take the light off of myself. So I'm using my platforms as a way to do that. So one, I, I wanted to bring up two different poets with you. Okay. One of them is uh, her, um, if you're on Instagram, it's ML Bordner. Yep. She's a poet based out of LA and the poem goes like this. If it takes an international emergency for us to consider the health and safety of others, we were never healthy to begin with. I just love her poetry. Lovely. So that's, that's, that's one friend. And then I wanted to bring you to the other side of the world to another friend of mine who goes by at yours in poetry. She writes out of Sydney, Australia. And she wrote... When I lost everything, I had no idea how much I had found in me. Nice. Which I love as well. They're both just incredible poets. And we've connected through social media. And I consider them two very, very close friends, like kindred spirits and soul sisters. And that's the power of social media is that you can create these incredibly profound friendships with people that you've never met. I, I have actually met ML Bordner in person when I was in LA, but I've never met yours in poetry and she's in Sydney and we have plans to meet when this is all over. That's and nice. again, that's hope, right? It's just, it's hope and it's spreading beauty. Um, like poetry is a weakness of mine. It's like, I, I just, I melt at poetry and I always have since I was a kid and art is another weakness for me. So I've been spreading a lot of people's art um, just today I posted, there's this incredible Toronto artist named Olaf. Yes. So if you look at my stories at Kim Smiley on Instagram, you'll see Olaf's work. It is just 
mesmerizingly beautiful. He's a hyper-realist and his work transports you to another dimension. And I think right now in this time that we're in, we're being transported to another dimension. We're not in the same universe that we were in three weeks ago. This is a very different time. And I think because it's so different, we're giving ourselves the opportunity to look at things with completely new eyes and to see things that we've never seen before and hear things that we've never heard before. So, I mean, I just think it's like an incredibly difficult time and I'm not minimizing the difficulty for people, people who are sick, you know, my hearts are breaking for those people, yeah. people who are on the front lines in terms of our healthcare professionals. You know, I, I've a lot of close friends who are, who are doctors, Dr. Arik Friedman, Dr. Sari Kivas, a lot of these people are, are very dear to my heart. And I know the listeners too have friends who are medical health professionals. My friend, Len Pearl, his wife is, you know, on the front lines every day working with people who are gravely ill. And, and this is nothing that we can minimize. But at the same time, despite all the suffering that surrounds us, there's an incredible amount of beauty that's almost like being, it's like, it's like you're in a box and there's pinpricks of light that are coming through yes. or you're in a really dark auditorium and one person is holding a candle and it's just lighting up the whole, the whole room. I think the universe is becoming like that right now. That's the way I'm seeing it as really just like, it's becoming a, it's becoming a more hopeful place because we're stopping and we're noticing things that we were too busy to notice. We were in our cell phones, Right stuck in our cell phones. You see people out for dinner, they're both on their phones. And I've been guilty of this too. Like I'm not saying I'm like some kind of saint in terms of how I interact with people. We're being disarmed. I think God is telling us right now, we're not in control. We are just not in control. So we have to sort of step back and recalibrate. That's really what this time is about. It's about reca recalibration. Kim, there's a lot of kindness going on out there. As you mentioned, as an example, a friend of mine, Robin Tucson Siegel, is a yoga teacher, and she sent me an email which said that people can access my free yoga class on YouTube designed to, uh, to, to develop oneself emotionally as well as physically. Search uh, for R. Seagull Yoga. It's called Grounding Yoga. And that's only one example of what people are putting out there right now. There are so many examples of kindness. Sometimes that come through innovation. I was reading on Vox.com, that this doctor down in the States developed um, machinery to help people through uh, this virus that's otherwise not available, unfortunately enough so, through the hospitals. And he sat down and he put together a bunch of different items. I, you know, I don't have this this way about me, but ultimately what he made was a homemade ventilator. And he's distributing it far and wide. I know somebody in BC who I'm going to be speaking to, and I mentioned her on a previous podcast, who's developing masks that are made out of uh, menstrual pads. And she's been in touch with women at home and men at home who sew. And she's asking them to create these masks. And I think her first order is for a thousand masks. That is beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely incredible. The light that we're seeing, you're right, which we did not see two or three weeks ago. We didn't. I, you're, I, first of all, just backing up a sec. I love Robin. 
She's a very close friend of mine too. And I have taken her yoga classes in person and, and online. So I really recommend them. Another person is Sari Fox that's giving free classes. There's a whole group of people out there that are giving free classes online right now. This is an opportunity for us to get back in touch with our bodies. Right. I think that our health, you know, we were talking on the phone earlier, Avram, and one of the things I think that's happening is that people are not showering they're not getting dressed, you know, they're staying in their pajamas. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think that's a nice thing to do sometimes is to take a break from, you know, getting sort of seen by the outside world and just taking a step back from the aesthetic. But I have found in terms of practical things to do and to recommend to people, I have found a lot of utility and um, just some, I, some sanctity, I guess I would say, in continuing my rituals to get up to shower, to get dressed, you know, to beautify myself, you know, even just for my husband, who's going to see me. I think that, um, you know, we, I was joking before with you, like, were you going to see me or was this going to be on the phone? Cause I was going to make a little bit of extra effort. Making that extra effort is sometimes a really good thing because when we feel more beautiful, it, it helps our mental health, right? Yes. Yes. Beauty is not just a superficial pursuit. It's something that can, can have a lot of gravitas and can really help our mental health. And as we know, people's mental health is struggling right now. And um, with, good, with good reason, I, I totally get it. So we're talking very optimistically, but a lot of people are feeling very alone and very isolated now. And I think it's just important to address the reality of that as well. One of the things that uh, you concentrate on more than anything else really is empathy. Uh, empathy, as we know, is a learned behavior. Uh, there's a sociologist uh, out of Israel who actually spoke to about 300 righteous Gentiles, asking them how it was that they decided to save a Jewish life or otherwise at the risk of their own life and more so at the risk of their family. And you and I are both family people and we understand what that means. And the answer was the same across the board. It's that when I was little and my parents and I were walking along the street and we saw somebody who was in need. Nowadays, we call them homeless people. My father and my mother would instruct me to go over and ask them per their welfare. Ask them, how are they doing? Is there something that I can do for you? Essentially, they were raised on empathy. So when people feel as though they're perhaps not empathetic enough or their children are not empathetic enough, and I hear a lot of that nowadays, the truth of the matter, they can be trained to be more empathetic, correct? A hundred percent. And that's at the heart and center of what I'm trying to do with the platform that I created in 2015, the Empathy Effect, which we're now calling Empathy Empire. Empathy is teachable. One of the primary ways that it's taught is in the house through mirroring of your parents. So people often think that their kids aren't noticing their behaviors and the way they're speaking to each other, but kids imbibe everything. Yes. So your, your first empathy teacher is your parent or your guardian or whoever's taking care of you. That's, that's your first teacher and empathy can, can be taught. We, we can't learn how to be an empath, but we can learn skills like a muscle. Empathy is a muscle that can be built. And one of the things that my uh, nonprofit is doing is we're, we're going to be teaching empathy. So um, we hopefully we've been teaching it now. We have something called hashtag empathy pledge. It's a promise to practice one act of empathy a day. And it's really training kids and adults to look for opportunities to inject situations with empathy because there's always an opportunity to use empathy. Always. Like, like what? And like what? 
simplest things in the world. Like I'm walking down the street and I notice people are often looking down, right? Mm -hmm. But often when you're out for a walk alone, you maybe you're in your head, but part of you is probably yearning for connection, smiling at someone when you're walking down the street, saying hello. Yes. These are things that have been lost, I think, with our society and our technological advancement has almost created a regression in terms of our connection face to face. So the simplest things, it doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be grand and it doesn't have to be random. It should be planned. So just reaching out and, and like I, I was joking on my social media recently that, you know, you should serenade people that are walking by on the street, you know, just ser- start singing, you know, to them. We saw that in Italy that people were, sa- they were outside on their balconies singing, I love right? That. Um, it was very beautiful that that image of a place in complete and utter turmoil and distress that had the, um, just the sense of, of beauty and wonder and community to come out and sing together during a time like that. I thought that that was like an incredible, an incredibly inspiring picture. Did you see that on social media that the yeah. Italian singing together? Yeah, I was blown away gorgeous? by I, I'm blown away by that. I'm actually thinking about going out on my balcony tonight with my amplifier and guitar and start to play something very beautiful and see if anybody picks up on it. In Toronto, we're a little bit more withdrawn. We're a little bit shy, uh, shyer, I think, than in Italy. But uh, I thought that was stunningly beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It was it was gorgeous. And I, I think that a part of me is very Americanized because I went to school in the States and I've lived in a lot of other places. So I think part of the reserve, the reservation that I that I because I grew up in Montreal, I think that's kind of been shed. I've kind of shed that kind of reserve quality. If I ever had it, I don't even know. And I had a very different upbringing because my family traveled across the world when I was three, which was like a very formative year, obviously, in my life. But I think that. I don't have those kinds of um, those blinders and I'm always looking to connect with people. Um, I shouldn't say always. That's too dramatic. I'd say 95% of the time I'm looking to connect with people. 5% of the time I'm probably in my own head like everyone else. But just simple things that we could be doing, Avram, uh, when we're outside, because, you know, we've been going for walks, not going to the parks, because Dr. Dina Kulik said that a lot of stuff is like living uh, in terms of the virus is living in the parks, right? Like on on the swing sets and on the slides and all of that. Um, so just when you're going for walks and like you're you're keeping your distance from people, say hi across the street. How are you? How are you guys managing? You don't have to know the people. It could be your neighbor or it could be a stranger. It doesn't matter. I think this is an opportunity for us to practice the golden rule to do unto others as we would have them do unto you, which is basically what the empathy pledge is all about. All right. So let's bring this inside because that's where most people are staying right now, right? Our outdoors have become our indoors. Kindness to others. One suggestion that keeps coming up, and I'm hearing this all over the place, is go through your Rolodex, you know, go through your database and find those individuals who live on their own. And there's a lot of them. Uh, a to, lot of them. Just yes. to exacerbate the situation, if you're living on your own as a single mom or single dad, i.e. you don't have a spouse or a partner and you have a child, in particular, if that child's three or four or five years old, you have a very, very difficult day. So what people are saying is go through your list, find out who really needs a call or who really needs an email, a text, but I think a call is better and give them a shout and schmooze. Just see how they're doing. So, so Kim, what can we do 
on an empathetic level, being that we are inside, sort of metaphorically saying hello to that person in the park, how do we do that now? So I think that what you just said is, is a perfect, perfect thing to do. Um, EJA Federation and Genesis have a program. If people go onto EJA Federation's website, they have a program where you could volunteer to call a stranger who is shut in an isolated senior. Oh. That's a way that you could help without going outside your home. Just sign up online, go to UJ Federation's website and sign up to do that. What a beautiful way. I think now, especially as a time to help the stranger, um, we should always, of course, help our neighbors, but this is a time for us to see the interconnectivity between humanity, the fact that there is more that unites us than divides us. This, a time like this really shines the light on that. I, I just wanted to raise um, this whole idea of excavation, like excavating yeah. empathy. Um, one of my dearest, dearest friends in the world, the maid of honor at my wedding, uh, lost her fiance on March the 8th. I'm sorry. And he was an yeah, it's 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 a it's a tremendous blow and it was a tremendous shock. He was 45 right. and he he was gone within like a, a day, within a 24-hour period. Right. Um it had nothing to do with the coronavirus. It was something else. But the reason why I'm bringing up Dr. Mac Lewis, he is because um Mackenzie was an archaeologist. And he was um it's a beautiful love story that he was living in the states and he met my girlfriend Tracy. And he ended up, you know, moving across the country from the States to come to Canada to be with my girlfriend, who's this incredible beacon of light in the world. Yes. And Mackenzie Lewis was an archaeologist. And I think the archaeologist has a lot to teach us today. And, uh, you know, Mackenzie died on March the 8th, right before all of this, this craziness started. Right. And I, I think that, um, you know, even in death, he left us with such profound teachings. He was a teacher and yes. he was also a classics professor. And his mother, who I had the privilege of meeting um, after his death, um, his mother, Mary Lewis, is a docent at a museum in Minneapolis. And she wrote this incredibly heartfelt post about her son and about what a rare gem he was that would mm. look through life and look through the sediment to unearth the rare gems mm. and that there's so much that's hidden beneath the surface that we don't see. And that now, I think, is a time for us to adopt and embrace the mindset and the kind of the microscopic detail of the archaeologist to look for those glimmers of beauty and those, you know, I guess the um, the gems that are in the um, that are in the dirt right now, because it, it is a really tough time, like we keep saying, but there are so there's so much to excavate. There's so much empathy to excavate. So I'd like in the in the honor of Mac Lewis's memory yes. to ask us to like act like an archaeologist right now and just get in there and just like excavate the empathy in his honor. Um, his mother wrote this piece, as I said, on Facebook. And one of the, the things that she said in the piece, and it was littered with Latin, which, which I'm a sucker for because my training is as an academic. I was going to be a professor. She finished it with vanitas. And vanitas, for those who have studied Latin in school, means that life is short. Mm -hmm. Now is an opportunity for us to really embrace this life is short. It's fleeting. We often do not have control over what's happening. So now is a time for us to really 
just, I guess, carpe diem, right? Seize the day and just love life. Make those calls to your, to the people in your Rolodex, hook into UJA, make the calls to the people, the strangers, you know, shout out to the stranger across the street, get outside of your comfort zone, get outside of your skin. If you're someone who's a little bit more reclusive or someone who's a little bit more introverted, maybe now's a time to just Get in touch with the part of your soul that's comfortable with reaching out to just uplift someone else and and, and uplift their day. Like now's a time for that. Like let's get outside of our own heads. Let's get outside of technology. Let's drop the phones. But at the same time, let's keep our phones for certain times to stay connected. But like let's reach out to that single mom or that single father. Now is the time for us to do that. Now is the time for us to call up Uber Eats and, or not call up, but go on your phone, order an Uber Eats meal to someone who's isolated. You know how you're going to make their day with, with food? Like food is something that's so nourishing and so wholesome. What a simple thing to do. 25 bucks, you can just turn around someone's whole week by sending them a meal. That, that's a really simple way, Avram, for people. If you don't have money, it's okay. You don't need any money. Call a person up. It's free. You already pay for your cell phone. Call them up and just say, hey, I'm thinking about you. You know, I'm feeling with you. And I know this isn't easy. Talk to me. Tell me, you know, what you're feeling now. Just listen. We have two ears and and one mouth for a reason, right? My dad always likes to say that. It's a pleasure to listen to you. It really is. Have you thought about doing a podcast yourself? I am going to be doing a podcast. And thank you for that beautiful compliment. I always felt the same way about you. I could I could listen to your voice all day. Thank you. I will be doing a, a, a podcast under Empathy Empire, which is um, which is the new kind of brand for the Empathy Effect. And Empathy Empire is all about the, um, I guess, the the notion that we're living in kind of despotic times, scary times. We're living in an empire that is not for the gentle at heart, right? It's an empire that's scary, and so. With Empathy Empire, the idea is to disrupt the despotism and to really focus on the beauty. And that's what the podcast is about. And I hope you'll come as a guest on my podcast when we when we end up doing it, because I, I think that like you're you're just your mind is so beautiful. And the fact that you started Vea Hafta and, um, you know, all the good that you've done in the in the world has really inspired so many of us, Avram. So Kim, just Kim, take, I, giving you a hand. Thank you for that. But I'm going to be your co-host, my dear. I, I just love <laughs> I love the way you talk. I really do. It's very, thank you. very poetic, philosophical. but. It, you have obviously thought about a lot of things, and that's very inspiring. Listen, a few other inspiring things that I think we need to mention. As you said, let's put the spotlight on others. There is a uh, Muslim food bank out there, and if you want to know more about it, it's muslimfoodbank.com. And on that website, they write, given the precarious situation we are currently finding ourselves in, we would like to ask all of our volunteers and supporters to reach out to their family, neighbors, and friends, Um at 65 years and plus. And I think that's a significant thing to do. As you get older, this virus has the potential of causing more harm. So make sure not only to reach out to the young folks, but in particular to the older folks as well, just see how they're doing. And there's an awful lot of shut-ins out there. I have a neighbor across the hall, Thelma. And again, I mentioned this on another podcast. On Friday night, she opened her door and I opened my door and we stayed in our own foyer. I made her kiddish. And then we both sat down and I sang her Shabbat Zimirot. I sang her songs that my father and his father had taught him 
um, having to do with Shabbat, like Menucha Vesimcha and uh, Yoribon. And I tell you something, I just know it's going to be a page in my book of life that I'll always remember. So do that stuff. Open your doors. Keep your distance. But you can do something very special for your neighbors. I also, special shout out to some people. Uh, Dr. Michael Silverman is a friend of mine. He's an infectious disease doc in the Durham region in London, Ontario, and he's working arduously as all medical personnel are. These guys are truly on the front line to the extent that my dear friend Kim actually has issued a shout out to people to nominate a, uh, a medical, uh, a person who's, who's in medical care, right? How does that work? So if you go on to at Kim Smiley on Instagram or go onto Facebook, um, the empathy effect, you could nominate hashtag health heroes. So people who are on the front lines, like you said, Avram, who are um, leaving their families and going into basically a health war zone in order to help um, people in our community who are ill. Um, if I could just though back up a little bit, I just, I thought that that was incredibly, um, beautiful and important. What you said about the Muslim food bank, um, this is an opportunity in terms of interfaith connection. And, um, I just think that the fact that you raised that is just incredibly important. We need to be reaching out to everyone and I would encourage us to very purposefully and very deliberately reach out to people outside of our faith. Um, You and I are both Jewish people. We have very Jewish neshamas, both of us, but we are taught as Jews to be a light unto the nations, not a light unto the nation. And I know this is something that you live and breathe, Avram, because this is why you started Ve'ahavta. And it's why I started The Empathy Effect. We are so interconnected and so enmeshed. and, And now is a time for us to purposefully reach out to our Muslim brothers and sisters, our Buddhist brothers and sisters. It doesn't matter. Our religion is almost, um, I'm not going to say it's meaningless at this point, but I guess what I'm going to say is that the lines between religions have become very blurred right now because we're one people, humanity, and we're all dealing with the same thing right now. No matter if you're rich or poor, Muslim or Jewish, a woman or man, transgendered. We are all dealing with the same thing right now and it's bringing us together. And that to me is incredibly hopeful and optimistic that, um, you know, we are basically, we're souls walking around in bodies. And this is an opportunity for us to unite souls across the world. And I just think that you giving that very pragmatic example is just incredibly important because a lot of talk like I'm talking right now is very philosophical. There are ways that we can practically reach out to each other now to create and cement that interconnection between each other. And I just think that now is the time if there ever was a time and God is watching and God is orchestrating. And this is, I believe, what God wants right now is I is is just the the sort of the meltdown of the differences and the divisiveness. Um, he, God wants us to disarm ourselves and start hugging each other existentially. We can't hug each other physically right now, but it's an opportunity for us to really take down those walls that have separated us to see our interconnectivity and our wholeness. We're going to be more whole after this is all done. 
We're living in a very fractured world right now. And I believe that after this is over, the light at the end of the tunnel is that we're going to be more wholehearted. All of us will be more wholehearted if we do the work um, now in this period that God has given us to, to really make ourselves more whole and more connected to one another. Good riff. <laughs> Thanks. Good riff. I need to. I need to. I need to zip it. Right. I just need to zip it and listen. Not, let, not, let me listen to you riff a little bit. Not on this show. My, my goal is to listen. I want to thank um, Marnie Goldenberg out in uh, in Vancouver, who's creating these masks of which I spoke of. I think we're going to go a little longer. You okay with that? Sure. So, what do you think of this? Okay. There. Tell me. There are a list of essential companies um, that came out last night uh, from our government that are allowed to stay open. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of those venues is the LCBO. And mm-hmm. for those of you outside of Ontario, Canada, that's it's basically the liquor store. Because what we do is we guard our liquor here in Ontario, and we make sure <laughs> that you can only go in and buy so much, I think. I don't know. I don't really buy it. But here's the reason that the LCBO is staying open, because people are asking and the reason is, is the mayor of Toronto said this, and he said it very empathetically, I thought. Not everybody agrees. I'm wondering your take on this. He said, listen, there's a lot of people out there who are reliant on liquor and on booze and on beer. And essentially, now is not the time to wean them off of it. And I was having a debate online with someone. This woman felt very, very strongly that that was incorrect. Apparently, her father and her brother had died of alcoholism. So she's coming at this from a very personal point of view. My, 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 as having worked with Via Hafta and done a lot of, doing a lot of stuff on the street to help addicts in terms of distribution of needles and things like that, I thought that was a wise move. And I thought that was empathetic. What do you think? I think it's a very wise move and very empathetic. I, I do understand where the person yeah. is coming from yeah. that you were having a discussion with. Cause I, like you, I'm from a nonprofit background and, you know, I've dealt one of the areas that I've dealt with in my career is addiction and mental health. And now is not the time to be taking the, the uh, alcohol and drugs away. You just don't, that's not the time to do it. So I agree with that move. I agree with you as well that I think it's very empathetic. And um, I was happy to see that. I was a bit surprised about the the marijuana stores, to be honest. A little bit surprised about it, but not in a judgmental way. I'm not judging it. Um, but I do understand the the weight of addiction. Um, and I, I, I do understand where this individual was coming from. And I, I bet she was very passionate about it and very emotional about it, which I also, I also understand. People are very emotional right now. Um, there's a quote just as we were conversing that I, that I thought of by Milan Kundera, who's one of my favorite writers. Um, he, uh, could I, could I recite the quote for you? Yes. He said, um, or he wrote, there is nothing heavier than compassion. Not even one's own pain weighs so heavy as the pain one feels for someone with someone pain intensified by the imagination and prolonged by a hundred echoes. That's Milan Kundera. And empathy really is about imagination, Avram, because often we cannot possibly step inside someone's shoes. We, we just would never be able to fathom what it was like to be them. But when we use our powers of the, of, of the imagination, and empathy is ultimately a creative process because you have to picture what it's like oh. to be in someone mm. else's shoes. So I've developed a training 
module that I tested at a Bedford Park Elementary School last year that we're going to be implementing at Empathy Empire. We, we actually have a physical space um, that um, is going to be opening after all of this is over. And we're going to be teaching people how to use the imagination, how to harness creativity in order to step into people's shoes so that you could build those empathy muscles. And the beauty of the program that I've developed is that it's good for people that are two years old. Like I tested it out with my two-year-old when he was two. He's three now because I thought of this a while ago. It's been incubating in my imagination for a long time. And we're going to also do it with Fortune 500 CEOs because at the end of the day, teaching empathy is the same, no matter if you're a little kid or you're a very successful C-suite executive. It's the same. It's using your imagination, suspending yes. disbelief, and simply you know, using examples of pain and suffering to, to get out of your own soul and your own body in order to adopt the soul and the body of someone else. That's really what empathy is and building empathy muscles is. It's about the mirror neurons in the brain firing up, right? Because we know that this is, there's tons of research to prove that empathy is, is learned, as you said at the beginning of the podcast or the radio show. Um, so this is very exciting. And if people want to have hope, um, you know, you might have people in your life who aren't very empathetic. We're going to be doing it for couples. So we're going to have one iteration. It's going to be the Empathy Empire game in bed. So to develop intimacy between couples or friends or between, um, you know, um, between children and their parents or just caregivers. Like, I, I don't know if you've come across this, Avram, but I have through the empathy effect. I've come across caregivers that have empathy fatigue because... Yes. They're burnt out because it's very, very challenging to take care of people who are who are very, very ill. Um, and and sometimes what happens is that people who are who start out very empathetic and very connected, they can develop empathy fatigue because it's tiring to to give all your love and support to someone and take care of someone physically. Physically, so we're also going to have a um, an iteration of the of the program that's going to deal specifically with people in the health professions. Uh, PSWs, personal support workers, doctors, um, to reignite what I think is within everyone. I think everyone has empathy within them, mostly, except if you're a sociopath. Uh, I, there's You can't teach a sociopath empathy, but everyone else, I believe, is teachable. So there was this book that I read many years ago, and the name is escaping me, but perhaps you know it. It was written by someone in Toronto. It's called The Empathy... In Toronto. Um, are, are you yeah. talking about Mary Gordon? What's the book called? Roots of Empathy. The Roots of Empathy. Okay. Yes, I believe that's mm -hmm. the case. So she writes a story, which you, which you inspired me to think of, about uh, a program that she actually implemented whereby she would take a baby into a classroom. Are you familiar with this? This is Roots of Empathy. I'm very familiar with it, yes. Yeah. So she would take a, a baby into a classroom and essentially ask the students, they were younger students, who would like to hold this child? The idea being that a baby is pure, that a baby is beautiful, that even if you're a real rough and tough sort of vagabond, <laughs> that by holding that child, right, you're going to sort of chill out, become more relaxed, possibly become even sweeter. So she said, who would like to hold my baby? A mother came in uh, with her child, and the instructor said, who would like to, to hold this woman's baby? 
So a fellow in the back put up his hand. Now, it turns out he was the most dangerous-looking kid in the room. You know what I mean? He had the mohawk haircut. Uh, he had uh, markings on his arms. One wasn't sure exactly what sort of child he was or is. And they were afraid because, you know, we have these stereotypes of people who look like that. So, But she had to say yes. So the fellow came forward and the mother handed the boy her baby. Mm -hmm. Obviously nervous, obviously scared. Right. And he's holding the baby and the mother notices that the baby began to clutch the young man's chest. Mm -hmm. And this was a little disconcerting for the mother because she was actually having a problem with her baby that it wasn't latching onto her the way she needed it to. And here was a situation where this dangerous kid, quote unquote, you know, was embracing her child and her child was embracing the boy back. And he looked at the, 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 the person who was responsible for the program and he said, let me ask you something. Can I be loved? Mm. And the woman said, why, of, of course you can. Of course you can be loved. Why would you think that you couldn't? And his response was, because my father killed my mother in front of me. Mm. And I think it was because of me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And he felt so strongly that he wasn't lovable. And there, there was a moment of empathy that always stayed with me. Empathy coming from the instructor, empathy coming from the mother, empathy coming from that young boy. And inevitably, everybody in that room was touched by it, similarly to those who read about it. So... I just wanted to share that with That's you. That's beautiful. I, I, I'm really a huge fan of Mary Gordon and I've heard her speak at U of T and I think she's the recipient of the order of Canada. That program has been disseminated around the world. It's a, it's an yeah. incredible program and it's an incredible vehicle to teach empathy. It reminds me of what Ellen Schwartz has done with, um, with her legacy, with Jacob, with her son, Jacob. I don't, I don't, um, you know, if you know, Ellen Schwartz, I know okay. Ellen. So everybody sure. knows Ellen. Yeah. She, she just wrote a post. Um, I think it was yesterday or the day before I just, I printed it off. Kim, to, to just give a little context there. Yes. Ellen Schwartz is. So Ellen Schwartz is a teacher. She's the founder of two different charitable organizations, Jacob's Ladder and Project Give Back. And she's the author of two books. I, I'm not sure if both of them were bestsellers, but I know that the last one were with Lessons from Jacob. And she's this just incredibly illuminated human being. And um, I, I, I feel like she's a soul sister to me and so many other people. And um, she posted this incredibly uplifting message yesterday on social media and, and Jacob, we, we, you know, it, the, the family lost Jacob. He, 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 um, he had Canavan disease and he, he wasn't um, given long to live and he, he actually um, passed his 20th birthday and he, he was this incredible beacon of light and love and empathy. And uh, we wrote about him on The Empathy Effect a few times and wrote about Ellen and the light she shares. And Ellen has a beautiful way with words. And, yeah, she does. And her smile could just like light up the darkest place in the world. And Ellen also bakes challah. And she, um, <laughs> you know, she just, she spreads so much beauty, this woman. And, um, and I would just love, if I may, I know we're already over time here, but I would just love to read what Ellen wrote about Jacob. Yes, please. Because I think it's please. instructive for all of us. She wrote, 
I feel like Jake is smiling at all of us while watching from above. He is noticing how connected everyone is becoming. He is noticing how we are slowing down and appreciating each other. Everyone is counting their blessings and realizing how lucky they are. There is more music, more I love yous, more acceptance, definitely more resilience in the ability to adapt and rise up. Like he always said, gratitude is everything and love will conquer all. Thank you to everyone for doing your part. Please continue to share your gifts and talents. If there was ever a time we needed them, it is right now. Thank you for being you, all unique, all here to make our world better. Let that be more contagious uh, than the virus. You know, I just feel like she was talking to us right now, you know, like with that post, she just she just has this like beautiful, natural, unaffected kind of way with people and with words. And her program, Project Give Back, uh, teaches empathy and kindness and philanthropy in the classroom for grade four students. And it's it's grown a lot um, since she since she founded it. And her partner, Melanie Robbins, has also been instrumental in spreading it. Um, who's another incredible human being, uh, Melanie Robbins, um, in terms of like mobilizing this pro project give back program. There's so many people doing incredible work. I there's another friend, yeah. you know, actually it brings me back, Avram, because I I was one of the first lecturers at the Street Academy that Vea Hafta launched. I and that was one of the best experiences of my life. I taught a religion and philosophy course with my friend Elan Devon. Um, oh, yes. You know Elan, right? So Elan yeah. is, um, he's starting something called Devon Academy. And he's another person who just spreads a tremendous amount of light everywhere he goes. And he's created this incredible online program to teach people emotional intelligence and the soft skills that many young people are missing. And um, it's, I think the time now more than ever is for us to put education online. And Ilan Devon has an, an, he's created this program. He's a Harvard graduate. He's very brilliant. And I had the honor to teach at the Street Academy with Ilan because we both studied religion and philosophy at Harvard together. And just right. his, um, you know, his depth and his, his, um, his heart and soul um, are just so beautiful. And so he's going to be launching this program, but he's in the midst of working on it now. And just there's so many people doing great work like this that are worthy of recognition and acknowledgement. Uh, I don't cry that much, but but when I do, I can really sob. I noticed that you're a crier. Yeah, I've already, <laughs> you've noticed already, you tell, even though I'm wearing glasses. I've never, yeah, I, you tear up. I swear I've never cried on a podcast. Never. No, it's time. good. It's good. When I was telling you the story and you teared up, I thought, oh man, this is an Oprah moment. I really liked totally. it. Totally. <laughs> totally an Oprah moment. Aha moment. Yeah. So, so here, here's my question to you because I don't think I'm one to speak to this. My guess is that there's a lot of tears out there right now and there are different types of tears. I'm assuming there are tears of anger. I'm a tear. I'm assuming there are tears of great, great sadness, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm going to guess, too, that there's tears of joy. Just pick up on that idea. It's funny because tears of joy is actually Robin, who you're speaking about previously, Robin Siegel had created a jewelry line a long time ago called Tears of Joy. Um, yeah, that's right. You know, her, I think joy is her middle name, I think. Um, so uh, I think I wrote a poem maybe when I was 12 or 13 around this topic of tears. And um, I created a piece of artwork called No More Tears. And um, a part of me thought at one point that I couldn't possibly have more tears that I that I had like exhausted my capacity to cry because just I cry yeah. so much, so much, so much of what happens in life brings me to tears, whether it's 
from joy or sorrow. And I think that now we are in a time of tears, uh, a time of tears of joy, of sorrow, of hardship, of illness. But, you know, to use a sort of a Christian kind of um, metaphor, um, tears have the power, sort of a baptismal power, uh, a power to recreate and to renew. Uh, they have a redemptive power. Water has a redemptive power. And I would encourage anyone who, this is my religious studies <laughs> education coming through, but I would encourage, yeah. encourage anyone who's near water to go to it now. Um, yes. we, we, we happen to live right near the ravine in Toronto. So I'm trying to go down to the ravine once a day to hear the sound of water because I think it yes. connects us more with the cosmos and takes us outside of ourselves. Um, but again, I think it all comes back to the fact that now is an opportunity, Avram. It's an opportunity for renewal and for us to get strong again, because I think we've been weakened. You know, our collective immunity has been weakened by what's been happening in the world. And so now is a time for us to fortify ourselves um, intellectually, spiritually, emotionally, in every way possible. And I think water and tears have a purifying component, right? Water purifies, it renews, it, um, it allows us to become new selves. And, and I think just bringing us back to the beginning, now is a time for people to get in touch with what's beautiful about them, right? Yeah, because a yeah. lot of people in the haze and frenzy and um, in our culture that's very preoccupied with the physical, the external, with the perfection of beauty, right? I'm in the beauty business. I'm a fashion designer, right? That's my day job. The empathy thing is like a side gig for me almost. But now is a time for us to get in touch with the fact that beauty has to begin on the inside. And I, I, I write this everywhere, but let me just say it here too, is that the most gorgeous human beings in the world emanate beauty from the inside out. So even if you're a stunning supermodel that's as gorgeous as the day is long, if you're not beautiful on the inside, you know, I'm sorry, you're never going to model for Kim Smiley because, you know, I'm all about beauty from the inside. To me, that's, you could see it in people's eyes, you know, especially when the eyes are full of tears, I think, because they're at their shiniest and you could see more deeply into the soul at that point. And um, so for me, again, just getting back to the hope and to the power of possibilities in this moment, in this time, like it's fractured, but as we know, the crack is where the light gets in, right? Leonard Cohen wrote and Rumi wrote. So now we're living in a crack, right? And so now is a time for us to, to get in touch with the light that is shining through the cracks and for us to harness our collective light. And like the Baal Shem Tov said, when we, when we bring our light together, we'll be able to create a light that goes straight to heaven, right? And that, and then that, that's what's happening right now. I think it's, it's a time for us to, harness our collective light in this dark time, Muslim, Jewish, Buddhist, Hindu, all of us together, we need it. We need a brighter world. We need hope and we need something uh, to look forward to and to believe in again and to sanctify. Because I, I think that that's what we need is, 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 is something sacred, right? So that's what's missing in our world right now. And it's what we need. You're good. <laughs> You're good. You are. No, do you have a chance to speak like this very often? Um, 
Not very often now, but I, I, I write to, a lot. You need to find it. Yeah. Yeah, you need to find it, man. You're a great speaker. Thank you. I appreciate that. Oh, you're really I mean, from you, and I'm I going to take that as a big compliment. I, well, thank you for saying that. I, I challenge you um, to write a poem called Our Collective Immunity. Okay. I'm going to write that down. Which is a phrase you just used. That's mm-hmm. a phrase you just used. Okay. Is it? Okay. I believe so. Uh, I also want to just add to what uh, you said, and then we're going to wrap up. After my sister's uh, husband was murdered, um, she couldn't pray. And she spoke to many wise people saying to them, listen, I just have an inability right now to express myself well, articulately to God through prayer, through tefillah, like we call it in Hebrew. And the person said, well, I guess you cry. She said, of course I cry. And he said, well, those tears are considered to be prayers. Absolutely. Amen to that. Right. Absolutely. Right. There's all kinds of ways to pray. There's all kinds of ways to pray. So, so the last question I have, or the last point I want to make with you is, so my son was sitting on the couch the other day. He's 13 years old. And of course, I'm thinking to myself, how much does he know about the coronavirus? How much is he dwelling on it? Because he doesn't say that much about it. And I went over to him. I said, honey, I just I want to talk to you just for a couple minutes about the virus. And, and I let him know a few things I thought which were very important, age appropriate. Right. And he said to me, Dad, you think I don't know that? I said, well, I'm not quite sure. He said, I do know that. I said, so are you reading about the virus? Are you hearing about it? He goes, of course. And I was uh, somewhat relieved to hear that. He's a very bright kid. He's very aware. He's very conscious. He's a very beautiful kid. Baruch Hashem. Thank God. In that light, I want to ask you, your children are younger. What do you say to your kids as hundreds of thousands of people are being infected throughout the world with COVID-19? What do you say to your children with all the loss of life that's occurring around us? And in particular, the tremendous fear that so many of us are walking around with and the inability to lead our lives as we have before, just going shopping is becoming a real effort. I understand at Metro, where I live, they're actually allowing a few people in at a time. Life has changed so dramatically. You and I can digest that because we're older now. We have the tools to do that. When you're three, when you're four, when you're five, when you're six, when you're eight, when you're nine, Mm -hmm. maybe even when you're 14 or 15, how do you digest it? What do you tell your kids? So I think it's an amazing question. I think it's incredibly important. Uh, A few different things to that. First of all, as we know from from the poetry of the Bible, there's for everything, there is a season. I do not think a three-year-old has the capacity emotionally to deal with the gravity of what's happening right now. So I think there's a time to reveal and a time to shield. Right now is a time to shield. For kids that are too young, now is not the time to scare them because these are very formative years for my son, Samuel. Maya is only one year old, so she doesn't, she's talking now, but she doesn't understand. Uh, she understands basic things, but not, nothing philosophical. Sam is actually a, a very philosophical, almost rabbinic child. So he, he would understand. And I am telling him things like people are sick. There's a virus. So we have to be very mindful. And that's why, why we're not going outside. So I've explained that to him. 
But in terms of people dying, I'm not letting him watch news. Although my husband loves the news, I'm taking Sam away from the news because it's not the time. It's not the season. He's too little. And I don't want him to grow up being scared and being fearful. Like that's, this is not the time to, to sort of like for the honest, hard truth for, for kids that are three years old. That, that's my take on it. Um, but I would say that what it can remind us of is that the wisest people in the world and everyone, all great religious leaders have taught this, um, is a child. The way children perceive things is wise beyond the wisest elder and that now is a time for us as adults and people who are more cynical to perhaps adopt the innocence and the eyesight of children because yes. the wisest people in the world see things through the eyes of children and i think that getting back to your tears uh, question and that analogy of the tears and the symbolism and the poetry of the tears, we almost need to cry enough so that our eyes can look at things anew. Kids cry at the drop of a hat, right? Because they are living in their emotions. They're living in their souls. They don't have the defense mechanisms and the armor that we have as adults. That armor needs to come down. We have too much armor, right? We have too much protecting us, too many walls, too many shields. This is a time for us to bring down the armor. Let's cry collectively together over what's happening in our world. Like let that let those tears bring us together. And I know I'm not exactly answering your question, but I think that kids are way wiser than we give them credit for. Your yes. son is very knowledgeable and obviously as an old soul, I think that Age is only one measure of um, of of how old someone is. Like my, I believe my son, when I looked at him when he was born, when he came out of my body, and I looked at him for the first time, I thought, "Who is this old wise man looking at me with these eyes? Oh wow! Who is this? This soul, this ancient soul? You know, oh, wow. someone very wise once asked me, and I, I'm going to ask you a question now. Uh, is that, I'm not sure I'm allowed to do that, but I'm going to do it anyway because I like to I like to break the rules, Avram. How how old were you when you were born? Yeah, that's a good question. I often ask people, "How old are you inside now?" But uh, that's very interesting. I've never thought of that question. I I would actually say when I was born, I I, I was um. I was the appropriate age. I was the proper age. But to go to my question for a second, I'm going to break the rules on my own show. Okay. Inside, inside, like through the throughout this interview, I'm thinking to myself, okay, who are we speaking back and forth? And where do we have the authority to talk about this stuff in such crucial times? Because I I, 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 I pondered for a moment. I feel like a kid a lot of the times. Do, do you feel like a kid a lot? Almost always. Yeah. So how old would you be inside now? Inside now, I feel very ancient, like many, many yeah. lives. Yeah. But um, like, I think like I've, I've, I've done sort of past life regression and stuff like that. That might be like too woo woo for the show. But um, I've done a lot of mm -hmm. contemplation about all that stuff, like with past lives. And, and like, I believe in reincarnation. I, I don't know if you do, but I believe in the transmigration of the soul. Inside, I feel very old. But 
my eyes are very, very young. They're the same nice. age as my as my sons. And my husband often jokes that when Sam and I go for a walk, like it's like he's listening to the same person talk in terms of like the wonder, the sense of wonder we have about trees and flowers and colors. And I, I although you know my husband Matthew, may, you know, makes fun and jokes, I think he thinks it's really refreshing because um, you know he's a criminal lawyer, so he's dealing with very sort of um, very serious cases of criminality. And I think, you know, he thinks part partly that it's like a certain level of naivete, although I've become less naive since I've met him for sure, in terms of the exposure that I've gotten to crime and stuff um, in, in, in the world. But, um, but just getting back to your original question, like, I think that I look at things like a, like a, like a a toddler. Like that's the way I see things. Right. And I think you too, but inside I feel, I feel like an old, an old person, like a very old woman inside. (laughs) Like how old, how old? Thousands of years old. Really that old? Yeah. And I, I mean, certain people listening are going to be like, oh my gosh, like what a whack job. And you know what? That, that, that doesn't really bother me. (laughs) I don't really care. I, um, I feel like um, the other thing that we didn't touch upon is is judgment and shaming that's been happening online. Yeah. That's something that we, because we've been trying to focus on the silver lining or the lace lining, as I like to say, and we haven't focused on that. Um, one of the things that I feel like um, empathy, I was going to create a hashtag empathy police, hashtag empathy police. When people are being mean online, someone yeah. could just write hashtag empathy police. Because I feel like there's a ton of shaming going on right now. And I, I just want yeah, to call it out a little bit. Go ahead. Um, I believe that this is a time for people to be selfless. I do believe that. But I believe this is not a time for people to castigate publicly and humiliate other people in public ways. If you have a problem with someone or a choice someone has made, don't put a picture of them online, uh, shaming them. Uh, you know, don't play God. Uh, you're right. Who are we to be talking like this? Like, who are we, Avram? Like, to be to be taught. Like, I don't know who we are, but I think it's important to remain humble. Because, like, yeah. I, I as as ancient as my soul feels sometimes, like, I have the humility to know that I know a sliver of of, of what's known out there. Like, yes. I'm I, I'm small. I'm very small, and I I see myself as a catalyst. And that's the other thing that I think this time can remind us of, because we're living in an age of rampant narcissism. And we're living in an age where, you know, in 2013, my friend Adrian Gold taught me selfie was the most popular word in the English language. Like that's, that's, that's really messed up. That's really, really scary. So um, this is a time for us to come with humility with um, the mentality of shining the light on others. And I think we can maintain our humility when we take the spotlight off of ourselves and shine it on the good works of others. Because I believe that every single human being has divinity within them. We all have sparks of divinity within us. Some people are more illuminated than others because for whatever reason, whether it's time or experience or the family you were brought up in, that that young man that you talked about in the story with Roots of Empathy, that young man had something put on him that was insurmountable for most human beings to deal with, right? In terms of 
witnessing death like that at such an early age. So those are sediments that were put on him. Right. And he, he decided to like put a tough exterior with his mohawk and his tattooing and his whatever, but inside was a very soft soul that a baby recognized the adults in the room didn't see it, but a baby who wouldn't latch saw it. Right. So again, let's get in touch with our inner children like that with that, with that innocence that we've lost as a society because of our cynicism. And trust me, I get why our society is cynical. Like it has reason to be, but, but God is telling us we are not in control. We need to let go. We need to reboot. We need to start anew. Let's be humble. Let's be kind. And let's look for the opportunities to practice empathy in, in deliberate ways, not random, in, in deliberate and very planned ways. Mm. I just love letting you go here. <laughs> just let You're me great. Just... You're great. You're great. You got to do the podcast, man. If you need any help, let me know. Okay, thank you. I will. Uh, they, one of the last lines in the Bible uh, was God eulogizing Moses. And within that eulogy, he said, and his eyes never dimmed. And you reminded me of that a few minutes ago when you talked about how you can really see a person's soul through their eyes, in particular when they have tears in their eyes, because that illuminates um, that illuminates the picture of the soul. And I've always thought about that line, and his eyes never dimmed. And my take on that has always been that it's really one of our tasks in life is to remain childlike in nature. And what does that mean? That means to be curious. That means to be in in awe, in total awe on a re- on a regular basis. Yes. So when I was talking to Ron McLean the other day from Hockey Night in Canada, one of his statements was, he goes, Avram, he goes, it's now our time to listen to the trees. Absolutely. Right, similar to what you had said. And I thought, you know, yeah, some people are going to think we're nutbags. And I, <laughs> and I get that. Why not? But the truth of the matter, it is so true. Those trees have been stymied from speaking, from showing us the lush of spirituality or the lushness of spirituality. And uh, now we just have to stop, man. We just have to take this time. We have to take these moments and we have to reboot. Like you said, we have to see who we are once again, who is our family, those whom we love, our community, and really embellish uh, our love toward them and our caring and our empathy, which is what you're all about. So I want to thank you so much for being on the show and for highlighting all of that stuff. You were marvelous, just marvelous. Thank you so much for having me. It was, it's an honor because I, I remember meeting you 13 years ago in uh, second cup at the Lawrence Plaza. That was the first time that we ever sat down together. And I think we, we were planning an art show together with another artist. And, um, and then I taught at Vehafta you know, I taught that one class and I, I have all kinds of touch points of you and, but have really, um, really stood in awe of you to use your word, have really stood in awe of what you've created with Vea Hafta and, um, and just in awe of the light that you spread. And, uh, it's just been fun to, you know, fun to talk to, to someone that I haven't spoken to in a, in a long, long time. So thanks for giving me the opportunity to share. Well, I have to tell you something. You really made my life one, like a few weeks ago, you said, you know, Avram, one day I would very much like you to to model for me. And I'm thinking, really? <laughs> yeah. You want me to model for you? I thought, yeah. well, that's pretty cool. Absolutely. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. I want to get no one's has, No one's ever asked me that. No. And no one's ever made me cry on like a podcast or a radio show. There's a, there's a first time for everything. But yeah, I want to get the most beautiful people in the world 
the most beautiful souls, collection of souls in the world to um, to model for KimSmiley.com. And we're really expanding. We have tons of things on the horizon, but we're being mindful and empathetic of the time. So although we have a physical space that's going to be opening when the time is right, Bashatova, right? When the time when the time is right. Um, we will, um, we will be opening to a brighter world and we will be contributing to a conversation that hopefully is going to, um, just elevate. We, we want to elevate and we want to elevate through empathy. That's really the goal. Ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to Corona Radio, which is brought to you by Hat Radio. Once again, I want to thank the Alberga family as well as Mark Reifen family for um, underwriting these shows. It means an awful lot to me, and hopefully it means something to you as well. I want each and every one of you to remember that we have the ability within these days, despite the fact that we may be isolated, to be kind and to be empathetic work on that it's not something that comes necessarily as naturally as you think reach out to those individuals who need a calm and a kind voice give them a call give them a shout they will appreciate it and i also want to say that i believe with all of my heart that we will get through this we will get through this well we will be healthier as kim has been saying throughout the show and we will because we are person kind Right. And Amen. I'm a member of right, I'm a member of Person Kind, so I can talk like this. And Person Kind has done what? We have sent a person to the moon. We have found a cure for polio and other such diseases. We are a phenomenal creation. Phenomenal. And when we start focusing on our brilliance and our ability to innovate and our ability to create, that is when the cure is gonna come. And quite frankly, I think it's coming right now. I'm, I'm, I'm not much of a messianic person, but if anything, mes- Messiah or Mashiach, as we call it, is us. We are Mashiach. So stay on path. Amen. Stay on that road because we're going to get there. And as we get there, we're going to do just fine. But remember, reach out and be kind. Thank you so much for listening to Corona Radio. God bless. Stay inside. Stay healthy. We can do it, folks. And we can because we are humankind.